I don't know about you, but I absolutely love the fact that cooler heads are prevailing across the Big 12 Conference amid the coronavirus. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. It's great to be here with you and uh, being a part of the show. So, and guys, before we get it going on today's show, please uh, take a second out either now or when we're done here and leave us a rating, review, subscribe. It would mean so much to us. Uh, the show is growing because of you. It will mean the world to me, and I will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in return. If you do that, leave a rating, review, send me a screenshot of that rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com, and we will send you that koozie. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that. Some heat is on West Virginia President Gordon G. And, and frankly, I don't understand it. I, I don't get it for the life of me. He went on the Paul Feinbaum show and he talked about how universities, how athletic departments need to be dealing with this coronavirus. Here is what Dr. Gee had to say about this as it relates to West Virginia and uh, the Big 12 and, frankly, college athletics in general. We're learning how to how to control it. And one thing is, is we need to get over panic. You know, um, uh, we just need to be calm about this thing. It is here. It's going to deal with it. But, you know, if, if, if one of our athletes, for example, uh, we're, we're talking on, about football right now, if one of our athletes gets uh, gets a coronavirus, we can't just shut the whole, the whole thing down. We've got to figure out how to uh, control that part of what we're doing. Someone's going to come down with coronavirus. I mean, let, let's just be clear about it. So the question is, how do we handle that? Do we have isolation rooms? Do we put them into quarantine? A number of things like that. Then the final thing in terms of, of college football is uh, how do we make certain that both our own team and the visiting teams are um, given all the opportunity to uh, to protect themselves from the virus, but also to uh, to be able to play the game in a, in a safe environment. Can somebody explain to me what is so irresponsible or outrageous about what Gordon Gee, the president of West Virginia, just said there? I mean, can anybody find anything at all that is so outrageous? But, of course, the outrage crowd, he said that we should not panic and we have to panic because panicking is cool right now and people panicking is in right now, especially on Twitter. Relax, okay? And if you say relax... That doesn't mean you don't take the virus seriously. We all should. But the smarter we get here about what's going on, who's most likely to be impacted, and who's most likely to be affected, we can move on in a responsible way, especially when you talk about college sports. But, you know, don't tell that to the Dan Wolkins of the world, USA Today, who's like, you know, Mr. Overreact, and let's make sure I mix in my politics to my college football uh, ripping on President Gee on a social media account, which, frankly, I just, I do not understand. I mean, here's the summary of what you just heard there from the West Virginia president. He said, we need to get over the panic. Now, he's right. If you are under the age of 24, based on the stats that we have right now, you are more likely to be hit by lightning than you are to be killed by the coronavirus. It's about one in a 700,000 chance that, you know, you get um, killed by lightning. I mean, that's, that's just a reality. That's, that's not something I'm making up. That is one in 700,000, the odds that you get killed by a lightning strike. Now, the odds of being struck by lightning in your lifetime, one in 3,000. But the odds of becoming a lightning victim in the U.S. in any one year is one in 700,000. 
If you are under the age of 24, the odds that you succumb to coronavirus are one in a million. Any college athlete that is stepping on campus this fall is far more likely to be killed. And I hate to say it because you don't like to talk about death, but once again, these are numbers, these are stats. You're far more likely to get killed driving to practice in a car accident than you are from the coronavirus. But don't kid yourself here, man. Don't kid yourself. You know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. The second that these colleges start opening back up and, you know, there's talk of some Big 12 schools, SEC schools, Big 10 schools starting to get things going again in uh, early to mid-June, and athletes going to come down with it, right? And there is going to be mass chaos from corners of the sports media. I'm just like, this is not a rocket science prediction. This is as predictable a prediction as there is. All right. And I don't know who it's going to be, whether it's athletic, ESPN, whoever. There are going to be all the headlines. Oh, they brought these kids back. They're not paying them. And now they're subjecting them to the coronavirus. How dare they? How dare they? Meantime, we also know that the coronavirus for a lot of young people, very likely asymptomatic. Got it. Didn't know they had it. Maybe had the sniffles. Uh, Maybe, you know, had a couple of rough days but didn't come close to things like hospitalizations, especially for the best athletes in the country. So Dr. Gee also saying there to Paul Feinbaum, we can't shut it all down. We can't. Some people are going to try to do it, by the way. They're going to try to be like, oh, someone got it. Time to shut it down. Yep, yep, this is why we can't be having college sports right now. Don't listen to them. I hope these college presidents don't. I hope these 80s don't. I hope that they take precautions. I hope that they use safety measures. I hope they're responsible. And I have every reason to believe that they will be because they don't want lawsuits on their hands, right? I mean, you know and I know, trial lawyer is going to be out like hawks the next few months over this stuff. So they have every, um, every reason to try to be safe here, to try to be smart here. There's no reason for them to be callous in handling this at all. No way, no how. Now, Dr. Uh, Gee also said someone's going to come down with it. Yes, they will. And as I pointed out, um, people will overreact. But ADs and commissioners and coaches have to deal with this thing as is appropriate based on what we know. And the last thing that Dr. Gee said there is our teams have to be given every right to protect themselves and play the game safely. There's nothing ludicrous. There's nothing out of hand about that comment there from the West Virginia president. He is saying we have to be safe, we have to be smart, but we also need to get over the panic. And that caused the panic crowd to go, oh, no, panicking is what we do for a living. Outrage is what we do for a living. And trying to get tweets to go viral is what we do for a living. Twitter's not the real world, folks, okay? It's not, never has been, never will be. And I'm so glad that people like Dr. Gee are speaking out about this stuff. I wish more would. I wish more people would say this. Um, And this is not to necessarily rip on Lincoln Riley, but when he comes out last week and he says about athletes coming back to campus on June 1, all this talk of schools wanting to bring back players on June 1st is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Based on what? Based on what? 
He told The Athletic, in my opinion, we need to bring them in as late as we possibly can before we play a season. Every day that we bring them in is a day we could have gotten better. It's a day we could have learned more about the virus. It's a day PPE maybe gets better. It's a day closer to a vaccine. If Lincoln Riley's going to sit around waiting for a vaccine, hey, Lincoln, uh, you know, we'll see you at your 40th birthday, pal. Okay? I'm not saying there can't be one. You know, there's been talk at the federal level about one coming later this year. I hope that it does. But let's be honest as well. Nobody knows. Riley also said it today that our testing equipment and testing capabilities get better and it's just not worth it. So we've got to be patient. We got one shot at this. We have to do it right. That's from Lincoln Riley to The Athletic uh, a few days ago. Well, uh, I mean, here's the thing. We have learned a lot about the virus, right? We've learned a whole lot about the virus. And by the way, now that a lot of the country, especially in the Big 12 part of the world, is, is opening up, like I'm in Kansas City, our gyms opened up this past week. I went to the gym. Uh, they took my temperature, by the way, before I went into the gym, and that's more than they do for Home Depot. So I felt pretty safe being there. Took my temperature. Um, it's safer for these college athletes to be working out at the facilities on campus than it is for them to be going to public gyms like I do, right? Less people using the equipment. Just less people in general. You can easily maintain social distancing in these state-of-the-art facilities for these college athletes. So I would think that there are actually benefits. You can control the safety measures a lot more at OU on some of the campuses than you can having these kids back home trying to get a workout and some bench presses in at their local, you know, Planet Fitness or whatever it might be. Although Planet Fitness, I don't think they do uh, – They don't even have bench presses, right? So whatever. Pick your run-of-the-mill chain gym. Uh, You're better off being at OU or being at Baylor or being on campus at Texas, whatever it might be. You're better off. So we got to really look at the the facts here and just stop the the cliche headline fearing. So kudos to West Virginia President Dr. Gee. That was good stuff by him. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Coming up, let's talk to Derek Duke. He's our recruiting guru. We've got some big news. He's next on Heartland College Sports Weekly. Well, now on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, we say hello to a guy that you read all the time on the site. He is Derek Duke, and he's joining us here for a few minutes on the show. I'm Pete Mundo. Derek, a big recruiting week here the last few days for some of the top teams in the Big 12. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Texas having a good run late last week. Uh, what surprised and impressed you the most about that run for those teams? I think just plain, plain a matter of fact is, you know, it wasn't necessarily the whole week. It just all happened on one day, and it just so happened to be last Friday. Uh, Oklahoma landing a big four-star wide receiver, Mario Williams, out of Plant City, Florida. He's a top 50 player for the class of 2021, according to 247 Sports. So that was a huge get for Oklahoma. Obviously, they've had a lot of success with wide receivers over the years, so it was pretty obvious for Williams to make that decision. And be it that, it was over a bunch of SEC schools, so it was even that much sweeter for the Sooners. And, you know, to pair, to pair up with Williams defensively, they got Clayton Smith out of Texarkana. Texas is a four-star outside linebacker, another top 150 player, so it was a huge, huge get for Alex Grinch as they continue to try to turn that defensive round. And then I think overall from Oklahoma standpoint, a lot of people were kind of talking about last week, early last week before all this happened was, well, Oklahoma was, you know, they were outside the top 50 in terms of the 2021 class. And now with these two on board, 
they just catapult into the top 30 right now. They're currently sitting at 26th. And I think the big thing for Oklahoma right now, that's going to create that momentum that Lincoln Riley loves to get in the spring and in the summertime where you start to see this wave of commitments happen. And I think right now all eyes are going to be on five-star quarterback Caleb Williams out of Washington, D.C. Interesting. Now, let's go to Oklahoma State because they land a four-star linebacker in Colin Oliver, a local guy, Edmond, Oklahoma, suburb of Oklahoma City. And it looks like Oklahoma State beat out um, Arkansas and the SEC, of course, and Ole Miss as well uh, for his services. OU, per your reporting last week, did not offer uh, offer him a scholarship. But still, think about Oklahoma State. I mean, Derek, we've talked about it. Mike Gundy, for all the success he has had, he has really not recruited up to the level of where that program has been on the field the last several years. And Oklahoma State fans talk about it a lot. Are we starting to see a, a you know, I guess, turning on that, or is this just uh, a a one-off, so to speak? Personally, I I think it's a one-off. You know, even Mike Gundy will say publicly he's not a big fan of chasing these four- and five-star guys because it seems like time in and time out, they just fall short and they're not able to beat the needs of these these demands of these high-profile kids. So, but for the Cowboys, it was huge. He's right right out of Edmonds, suburb of Oklahoma City, so it was right down the road from them out in Stillwater, so I thought it was a huge gift for them. But the interesting thing was everybody in the state of Oklahoma was talking about this kid, but the fact that Oklahoma didn't offer made things a little bit more interesting, and I think that obviously shifted things in favor of the Cowboys here. But you never know. Uh, until pen meets paper, there's a long way to go until this, is, this recruitment could possibly be over. If Oklahoma decides to get involved and make that offer, maybe things could get a little interesting. But for right now, it's a huge gift for Oklahoma State. And then you go to Texas, where they land a three-star running back, uh, Jonathan Brooks. Now, you look at Texas, they're in the top 20 or top 10 of the 2021 recruiting cycle per 247. I mean, Tom Herman's issue, just like Charlie Strong's issue, was not recruiting. But as you look at this 2021 class, where it's shaping up, uh, what are you encouraged by, Derek? I think just the momentum Texas continues to have. Charlie Strong was always kind of that fringe top 10 kind of guy. Usually somewhere in the top 15 was more more likely with him, somewhere between 15 and 10. Now you're starting to see Tom getting in those top 10 classes, even top five classes uh, with last year's class and the year before. So I think for, for Tom, it's going to be trying to keep that momentum. And obviously winning on the field is going to take care of so many of those issues. That's what Charlie Strong couldn't do. And now Tom Herman's trying to fix that aspect. So I thought Texas is still doing a nice job on the recruiting trail. Uh, obviously, between Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, stealing all the headlines on last Friday, Texas quietly landed those two commits. Uh, three-star running back Jonathan Brooks out of Hallisville, Texas. Uh, he's actually only about 30 miles away from current Texas running back Jordan Whittington, who hails from Quero. And what's interesting to me, I'm kind of I'm, that's my hometown from that area. Uh, both towns are under 9,000 people, so it's pretty cool to see some small-town kids get some of those big-time offers from Texas. And don't forget, they also landed three-star wide receiver Casey Kane out of New Orleans as well. You mentioned they're sitting ninth in the class for 2021. I think Texas, and I think you could also see Oklahoma possibly jump into the top 10 by the time this 2021 class is over with. That's awesome. Derek Dukes joining us, heartlandcollegesports.com. Derek, part of the 2020 class, uh, news that broke last week, we haven't had a chance to talk to you about it yet. We talked about it on the show last week, but I'd love to get your thoughts uh, TCU landing five-star running back Zachary Evans. That launches them into a uh, top 25 ranking for the class of 2020. This guy was all over the map. Uh, he was going to go to Georgia. Then he was released from his national uh, letter of intent. 
People thought it was down to LSU and Texas A&M. He ends up at TCU. What does this say about Gary Patterson and this Horn Frogs program that has been about 500 the past two years and the offense has absolutely stunk? I think Zach's going to walk into a situation where he can make an immediate impact right away. TCU loses both its starting running backs this year, so I think there's a huge hole for TCU there. And then you combine that with Max Duggan, all the buzz around him, and you know how much better he can be in the sophomore season. So I think it's going to be a very interesting combination between Evans and Duggan once you have those two guys uh, back there behind center. So for me, it's going to be very interesting to see how it shakes out. And if anybody – Obviously, the recruitment of Zach Evans, if anybody knows anything about it, it was certainly one of the most wild recruitments you're going to see uh, in a long time and maybe even ever, just the way the twists and the turns and everything like that. So for TCU, it was huge. If there's a place where, you know, he can keep his head on straight, I think Fort Worth is a great place to do that. Gary Patterson runs a pretty very clean program, so I think it's perfect for that, for somebody to come in get their head on straight and focus on what they need to do in the classroom and on the field. So I think it's huge for Evans. And plus Gary proves that he can send guys to the NFL. I think that's been proven. You saw it in this past draft with five guys drafted and in previous drafts as well. So I think it's huge. Uh, you mentioned they end up in the, tw- uh, the 23rd ranked class for the class of 2020. They've all, that's only second behind the class of 2016 that finished 21st. So the second highest uh, class in school history and that's mentioned, Evans becomes the highest-rated recruit for TCU in, in, in their history. So, I mean, yeah. it's huge for TCU. And like I said, we talk about it time in and time out. TCU continues to be the third-best team in the Big 12 when it comes to bringing talent in. Derek, let's go to Waco. It's always tough uh, to be the guy coming in, um, especially with the early signing period. It's much more difficult to get that first recruiting class highly ranked. Baylor finished 59th last year, but now they've got the number two class in the Big 12 for 21 uh, they've got a top 20 class nationally. Are you buying what Dave Aranda's got there? Does he have the horses to get this thing done? I think the toughest adjustment for Dave Aranda is going to be going from LSU. When you're at a program like LSU, it is really the the program in the state of Louisiana. So you didn't have all these battles and stuff that you had to deal with. You know, obviously you had SEC battles, but when a kid in the state of Louisiana was, was a big-time prospect, most more than likely he was going to LSU. In Texas, it's a little bit different. There's so many different hands in the pot trying to get these, these high, highly rated kids and stuff like that. So I think he's going to have a harder time getting kids from Texas than maybe what he would like to and what he was accustomed to in Louisiana. So I think from that, it's going to be a little bit of adjustment. But for right now, you just mentioned class of 2021, the second, rated, uh, second highest ranked class in the Big 12, 17th in the nation currently. And they have 14 guys currently committed for the class of 2021. So I think he's off to a great start. Uh, obviously, there's not really any high-profile guys. You don't see any four-stars in the class right now. But if he's able to develop some of these kids, it's going to be big for the program. And later on down the road, he can establish himself as an elite recruiter in the Big 12. Derek, who's got to start picking it up here? I know it's early, right? And, uh, you know, the K-States, the KUs of the world are, are never going to be one or two in the Big 12. But as you look at this conference, whether it's a head coach who's been around the block or somebody who is, you know, early in their tenure – is there a program that you look to and say, we've got to see more and it's it's got to start soon on the recruiting side? I think for Texas Tech, for me, that, that's always been an interesting place because when you talk about the jobs in Texas, you talk about TCU, you talk about Baylor, you talk about Texas, and then you obviously talk about Texas Tech. Out of, out of those four jobs, right now, I would probably say Texas Tech is the least like, you know, the least popular job if you mm-hmm. were to take a job in the state of Texas. So I think from that standpoint, it's already hard. 
Not to mention, we always talk about you're in Lubbock. You're far from the both metroplexes of Dallas and Houston. So from that, it's it's kind of hard. You're in a very rural area. So I think just getting kids to campus in Lubbock is hard enough in itself, especially when it comes to visits and things like that. So for me, I want to see Matt Wells do a little bit better job at Texas Tech. Uh, he added some a, a late piece last week, actually, with a tight end for the class of 2020. I thought it was a huge grab for Tech. So establishing that culture at Tech, building the program the way he wants it. He wants to use tight ends, something Cliff Kingsbury didn't do in his time at Texas Tech. He's really trying to turn over a new leaf there, install a new brand new offense and things like that. So for me, it's just about getting the guys that he wants to bring in and building upon that. Uh, so it's going to take time. Don't, you know, don't worry. It's not going to happen overnight. So I want to continue to see that progress. Uh, from Matt Wells and company. And he's got two big tight ends uh, committed for next year. Six foot six, Jed Castles out of Wichita Falls, and then Mason Tharp out of Spring, Texas, six seven, two and a quarter. Uh, that's a great place to start, Derek, <laughs> if you're Matt Wells. You got to love that. Hey, you know, if it, if it doesn't work out for tight end, maybe they can play some tackle as well. <laughs> exactly. Derek Duke, always great to get his insights here in the offseason as uh, we look ahead to what we hope is going to be a full 2020 college football season. Always great to talk recruiting with uh, Derek Duke. Derek, great to have you on, man. Appreciate the time. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for having me on, Pete. Coming up, our final thoughts as we wrap up the show on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Well, let's go to Bob Bowlesby, who gave a comment to ESPN about how the Big 12 can get itself going. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. It's great to be here with you this week. Thanks for checking us out and being a part of the show. So Bob Bowlesby, the Big 12 commissioner, said this week, the league needs to be up and running by mid-July if a college football season is going to start on time. He told ESPN, quote, if we're not... We're looking at probably having to delay the season a little bit, but it's too early to know if we're going to be able to make that or not. Um, College football, of course, still scheduled to start August 29th. A lot of the Big 12 schools, uh, I think all the Big 12 schools, not starting until September 5th, the following week. But that's where we are right now. That's where this thing is. And I get it from Bowlesby's perspective, right? Like, you got to be operating by mid-July to get the season underway like you need to, from scheduling to everything else that goes into it. But mid-July is is basically two months away, right? It's two months away. Think about two months ago where we were. We were just starting to shut down most of the country back on, you know, March 20th to 21st, 22nd in that range. I mean, that's that's where we were. And that was two months ago. Think about how different the world is versus two months ago. It's night and day. In some ways, improved in terms of what we know and what we've learned. And in many ways, it's worse. But it's different. Two months in this world right now is a lifetime. And if the Big 12 and if college football can't get itself up and running by mid-July, we're going to have much bigger problems than where the college football season is and whether or not it's going to happen. I mean, it will be far, far worse than that. Um, also, according to ESPN, the SEC athletic directors are going to be meeting with health officials Thursday. That was this week. And will then make a recommendation to the league's university presidents and chancellors about whether to permit student athletes to return to campus as soon as June 1st for voluntary workouts. 
So we'll see what the uh, decision is there. The good news for the Big 12 is this. Generally speaking, the Big 12 states are on the same page, right? Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, Iowa, West Virginia, all dealing with this uh, coronavirus in a similar light, similar ilk. Not, not perfectly symmetrical, but of a similar ilk. Now, you can't say that about some of the other conferences. You can't say that about the ACC, where you have schools like Florida State and schools like Boston College, right? Boston's getting hit pretty hard. The state of Florida, not so much. Try the Big Ten, where you have uh, Nebraska and Iowa and Minnesota, and then you have Rutgers in New Jersey outside the hotbed of New York City. And by the way, if the Big Ten needed another reason to regret taking on Rutgers, this is it. Because here's the thing. I mean, Rutgers could easily complain and say, wait, that's a competitive disadvantage. Nebraska can start practicing and voluntary workouts, but we can't because of our uh, local and state leaders and telling us what we can and can't do at this point. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? But it's a fair point from a competitive disadvantage standpoint that Rutgers can make. But the point is Rutgers should have never been invited to the Big Ten. Biggest mistake of Jim Delaney's tenure in the Big Ten was thinking that Rutgers was going to bring in the New York City marketplace. Anybody that knows anything about college sports and New York City sports uh, should have known that would have been a total debacle and was never going to work. Never going to work. Wasn't. So that's where that is right now. But I think it'll be easier for the Big 12 and the SEC to get on the same page in terms of how the conferences should operate because all the states are on a similar page in terms of what they're dealing with and how they're starting to reopen their states and their economies. That's a good sign. But the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac, forget the Pac-12. I mean, the Pac-12 has been so damn irrelevant now for so many years that, you know, and, and the California governor out there has totally lost his mind. They might be playing only road games in the Pac-12 outside of the state of California. I mean, it's crazy. You may have UCLA and Cal and USC playing home games in Phoenix this year. I, that's, that's, that's what it might look like for the Pac-12. Uh, Gavin Newsom, the governor there in California, may single-handedly put the final nail in the coffin of the Pac-12 as a major Power 5 conference. Where's the ACC? Or not the ACC, the AAC. Bring them up, baby. Bring them up. We need a replacement in the Power 5. Bring up the AAC. Hello, SMU. Hello, Houston. What's up, fellas? How you doing? I, seriously, that's, that's not good news for the Pac-12. We'll see if they, they started to ease off it a little bit, as we talked about earlier. They started to ease up a little bit in California, but still, it's, uh, it's not exactly overwhelmingly positive with how things are being handled at the state legislative level. So still so much up in the air, and we'll keep you posted on that each and every week here on Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys. If you're a Big 12 fan, please do check out the sites. Uh, thanks for listening, whether it's radio, podcasts, wherever it might be. Appreciate you being a part of it, and we'll talk to you next week. Same time, same place. I'm Pete Mundo. We are Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com. And please, guys, just a reminder, leave us that rating, review, subscribe. I will send you a koozie if you send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. That's M-U-N-D-O, Pete Mundo, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate all you guys. Uh, that would mean the world to me, and we'll talk to you next week.